0: Notice with me Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Many of God's children have unfulfilled Dreams, unrealized hopes, and aspirations for the future that are yet to materialize, to become real. Many young people who are here this morning, they long to be married and start a family. For others, their heart's desire is to acquire land, property, and build a house. Some hope to own their own vehicle. Still others dream of starting their own business, or school, or clinic, or ministry. Some have always wanted to travel abroad and visit new and interesting places. Some who are here earnestly desire to land a a job in a certain field or to begin work in a particular industry and, and so forth and so on. But when people wait a long time for their hopes to become a reality, only to be disappointed, Time and again, they can become sour and embittered in life. In fact, the Bible tells me in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, hope deferred. To defer something means to delay, to push back. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think there are many Christians in the body of Christ, who have a sickness. They may look fine on the outside. They may dress sharp and and they may speak intelligently, but there's a sickness in their hearts because their dreams seem to be canceled and their hopes continually pushed back. And disappointment can turn to Disillusionment and despondency. Because when people lose hope, they quit. They quit living. They just go through the motions, but they float through life aimlessly with no particular reason to wake up in the morning like a leaf in the wind. Something inside of people dies when their hopes are continually deferred. Something inside them just dies. See, some men die at age 30, and we bury them at age 70. And so they have kind of a hollow existence. And it hurts too much to be continually disappointed, so they lower their expectations. They settle for less than God's best. They convince themselves that their dreams were unrealistic, and that they should quietly just accept their lot in life. And though they may seem normal, something about them is tinged with sadness. Because if they were completely honest, they would say, I'm disappointed in life. I thought by now I'd be somewhere else than where I am. I do believe that we should be content and grateful for what we have. I think we should count our blessings. Don't misunderstand me. And I do not believe that we should be so focused on tomorrow that we can't enjoy today. I don't believe that our hearts should be so overwrought and filled with anxiety about our future that we're miserable right now. Why not just today enjoy today? This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. But I do not believe in succumbing to despair. Being content is one thing. Having no hope is something else. Are you out there today? So let me encourage you this morning by telling you this. Your vision is not too big for God. Genesis eighteen fourteen asks this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Even if your dreams are dead, God raises the dead. And you're never too dead for a resurrection. Amen. Hallelujah. That means it's not too late. While you have breath, while you live, there's still hope for you. It's not too late for God. Hallelujah. Perhaps... In spite of your best efforts, you see nothing before you but failure. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. That's why we're here. That's one reason why we're here this morning. So if your hopes for a better future are fading fast, if your dreams are in the ICU, the intensive care unit, or if you're just weary from waiting, ready to give up, then this message is for you. I said, then this message is for you. The first step, the first step to changing your course, changing the direction of your life, the first step to seeing your hopes realized is to take a moment and re examine the way you think. You need to think about your thoughts. When I talk to people who, who know they're living less than God's best, when I hear them speak, I right away can tell that their thinking does not agree with God's thinking. God's Word reveals God's thoughts. If you want to know what the Lord thinks about something, you don't have to go climb Mount Saramati and fast and pray for 40 days. You can just open your Bible. Some people say, you know, God hasn't spoken to me in a long time. Well, maybe it's because you haven't opened your Bible in a long time. Amen? Hallelujah. And to the extent that your thinking does not align with Scripture, you disagree with God. Let me say that again. To the extent that your thinking, the way you think, does not align, it's not in sync, it's not in agreement with Scripture, you disagree with God. And you cannot receive God's help if you are constantly contradicting what God has said. See? So you need to agree with God. Stop disagreeing with him. And that means before God can change your life, he has to change you. And usually the first thing he wants to change, I'm speaking to believers, usually the first thing he wants to change is your thinking. The Bible tells me that a transformed life is the result of of a renewed mind. And the renewing of a mind is a process. You can't just say, yes, on Thursday, January 20th, 1987, my mind was renewed. That's like saying on January 7th, 20th, 1987, my hair was combed. I mean, you have to comb your hair every day. I mean, some of you maybe don't have to worry about that. But the rest of us, you have to comb your hair every day. You have to keep your mind renewed. Amen? We come to church and renew our minds. We go home and watch CNN and unrenew our minds. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice the scripture. Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's not a question. That's a statement of fact. God is not against you. Are you out there today? He may not appreciate everything you say. He may not always condone your behavior, but he's not your enemy. He loves you dearly, and he wants what is best for you. He's not your adversary. He's your father. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, how much more. Somebody say, How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, I have, oops, sorry, I have three children whom I love dearly. And if even one of them is not doing well, it bothers me, it bothers my wife. My oldest son, who was just here a a week ago, my oldest son, uh, several years ago, my oldest son, after going through a lengthy hiring process, secured a good job with one particular company in America. But then, because of some misunderstandings, uh, I think there was, you know, in every in, in the corporate world, there's a lot of politics that go on and, you know, jealousies and that type of thing. And I don't know all the reasons. And then I think some things he did wrong. But after just a couple of weeks, a few weeks, he was dismissed from that job. And I, when I heard the news, it broke my heart because he had worked so hard to get the job and then so quickly he lost it. He'd just come out of college, and that was a a long journey for him too. It broke my heart. I literally wept. I had tears just coming, streaming down my cheeks, and I prayed as hard as I know how. And thank God he bounced back. You know, it's a disappointment, but he bounced back, and and later he got another job. I think maybe we could say even a better job than that one. But my point is this. If I, with all my faults, am so desperate for my children to succeed and reach their full potential, why would a perfect God want his children to fail? I don't believe God is indifferent. I don't believe he's up in heaven and here we are struggling and nothing's working for us and he's up there going, that's okay, in a few years they'll be dead anyways and they'll be up in heaven with me. I don't think that's his attitude. Amen? How much more? How much more will your father be concerned about your life that you do well? Hallelujah. Notice the scripture, Romans chapter 8. Verse 32, we read verse 31 a moment ago, but let's read verse 32. This is one of my favorite verses. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also give us all things? Now, when I was a boy in the church that I was raised in, there was an older man, and from time to time, he would sing like a special song. It was an old hymn. And the lyrics of that hymn, I I, I always remember this, the lyrics to that hymn were this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. In other words, the point of the song is Jesus is more valuable than any treasure on earth. Can anybody agree to that? I mean, I agree to that. Wholeheartedly, I agree to that. So, Paul's argument is this. If God has already surrendered and handed over to us his best, why would he withhold anything else from us? If he gave us Jesus his only son, why would he not be willing to give us a house or land or a job or a spouse or children or a business? Are those things more dear to God than his own son? No. He's already given us the best he has. Certainly, he won't withhold lesser blessings from us. That's what he's saying. Hallelujah. Let me read to you the same verse because it's a mouthful of words, but let me read the same verse in another translation. God did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. Then won't he also freely give us everything else? Come on, that's that's a good place to shout right there. You you missed it. Here we go again. Then won't he also freely give us everything else? That's good news. That's enough to make a Presbyterian shout. Won't he also freely give us everything else? And the answer is yes, he'll do it. But notice in that scripture, the word freely, freely. That's important. We didn't buy Jesus. He bought you. I'm going to go down to the market today and do a little shopping. What'd you get? Well, I bought me a little Jesus. No, you, don't, you, know, you didn't buy Jesus. He bought you. He purchased you with his blood. Mm-hmm. We didn't earn salvation. It is the gift of God. So if the greatest thing, which is salvation, eternal life, if the greatest thing was given to us by grace, then certainly the lesser blessings come the same way. See, that's what he's saying. So don't try to turn what God offers freely into something you purchased with good behavior. God's love is not for sale, but it is available to receive. Hallelujah. Just like the sinner who is trying to save himself is actually hindering the work of God, so the Christian who tries to earn and merit favor is binding the hand of God. See, no man can have two masters and no man can have two saviors. If you're trying to save yourself, then Christ cannot save you. That's why some people have to hit rock bottom before they get saved. They try to improve, they try to change, they try to, you know, solve all their problems. And when they come to the end of themselves and finally surrender, then the Lord says, Are you done? I see you're getting ready to drown. Are are you through? And you say, yes, I've been waiting. (laughs) You see? Likewise, if somehow you think, well, I deserve, don't ever have the attitude, God, you owe me. Excuse me? Oh, yes, I've been in this church for many years. I'm faithful. He preached on it last week. I heard that. I said amen every time. God, you owe me. I sing in the choir. God, you owe me. I work with the children. Now, that's the wrong attitude. Actually, you owe him. You owe him everything you have, even your life, the breath that's in your lungs. You owe him every day. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. Don't have that attitude. That's the wrong attitude. Amen? Even if If the blessings of God were for sale, you couldn't afford them because the price that was paid not only to save you but to give you every benefit of heaven, the price was the blood of Jesus Christ, not you singing in the choir. The price was the blood of Christ himself. You trying to purchase God's blessings by doing good is like trying to buy the Taj Mahal with 100 rupees. 100 rupees will not even buy you an admission ticket to visit the Taj Mahal. (laughs) I just came from Agra. That's fresh on my mind. Hallelujah. (laughs) Most Christians underestimate the goodness of God. Most Christians, I don't know, is that you? I don't know. Most Christians underestimate the goodness of God. The Lord will do things for you that you would not do for yourself. He'll be better to you than you have been to yourself. Hallelujah. Sometimes the problem is not that your dream is too big. Sometimes the problem is your dream is too small. That's why it's not coming to pass. You just want to have a job. God wants you to own the company. You just want to have your own little flat. God would like you to build a house, build a a, a multi-story building. God, God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond. So don't limit God with your small thinking. One fault I find with so many people is they have small thinking. As if, you know, like they come to church and sing about he's El Shaddai, you know, he can change the world, everything like that. And then after all of their singing, they say, God, can I have 10 rupees? As if like God would be sweating buckets over that. Ooh, 10, I can give you five. Uh, I can maybe give you six. No, no, no. For the one who created the worlds with his words, it would be impossible for your dream to be too big for him. Why not aim for the stars, so to speak, figuratively speaking? Why not aim for the stars and hit the moon, then aim at the ground and hit it right on target? (laughs) You have low... People suffer from low expectations. I see that a lot in Northeast India. Very low expectations. All I want is a cup of tea and a biscuit. Oh, God bless you. But maybe that's not all God wants you to have. Maybe my son would be just be sleeping under a bridge and eating wild mango fruit and drinking from the Nala, and he's happy as a lark, but that doesn't mean I'm happy. <laughs> Just because you've adjusted to where you are, that doesn't mean that's God's perfect will for you. Amen. Let's look at another scripture. Actually, let's go back to our text that we began with. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's just park for a moment right here. Let's just get out of the car and camp right here for a few minutes, shall we? Let's get out and enjoy the scenery right here and this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now some Christians think it's wrong to have any desires. They think we should just be neutral. You know, don't really want anything, huh? You know, whatever. I don't don't really want anything. If it's wrong to have desires, then God would be wrong to give you the desires of your heart. Since he's willing to do that, it must not be wrong to have desires. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24 says this, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Now, if you ask some Christians... What do you want? What do you want God to do for you? Some of them will say, "Um, nothing in particular." Then, according to this verse, Proverbs ten twenty four, that's what you'll get: nothing in particular, because the desire of the righteous will be granted. Amen. Amen. It's not wrong to have desires. It's only wrong to desire the wrong thing. It's not wrong to want a husband. It's only wrong to want another woman's husband. <laughs> it's not wrong to want a new vehicle. It's wrong to want Brother Zama Zama's new vehicle. That's that's wrong. Or to want the right thing the wrong way. You see? Amen. The Bible constantly encourages us to pray, to present our petitions before God. Philippians 4, 6 says, let your requests be made known to God. See, people say, well, God knows everything. So, if he wants me to have it, I'll have it. Uh, Wrong answer. Your thinking does not agree with Scripture. That's unscriptural thinking. Friend, if God just wants you to have it, you'll have it, then why bother praying at all? Why would the scripture constantly tell us? Why does the Bible why did Jesus say, how much more will your father give good things to those who ask him? You see? You still have to pray. You still have to ask. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Notice he didn't say you do not have because God doesn't want you to have it. I mean, that could be true, but it also is true that it may be you haven't asked for it. It's amazing to me how many Christians will candidly share with others their dream. You know, someone you know, a friend, a fellow church member, and and at the right moment, you know, they might open up their heart and say to you, you know, this has always been my dream to start a school. This has always been my dream to have my own business. They'll gladly share with others their dream. And also, it's interesting, they won't even mention it to the Lord. I know I've asked, I've talked to people well, what I really want is to be married, have a family. I really want to have my own house, really want to have my own business, really have my own, you know, have a better job, really want to have a better education. And I ask them, have you asked God for this? And it's amazing. Many times they'll stare off into space with a blank look on their face. And sometimes they'll say, "Uh, yeah, real weakly. What they should have said is, with all my heart, every day, constantly, that's my request. But they don't do that. It's not God's fault. It's their fault. You have not because you ask not. You have small things because you ask for small things. You ask for small things because you have small thinking. You have small thinking because your mind's not renewed with the word of God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hmm. However, I do have to say this. Notice Psalm 37 verse 4 does not say God will give you the desires of your flesh. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your flesh. He didn't say that. He said the desires of your heart. So you do have to differentiate between the carnal nature in your body, and don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The carnal nature in your body and the nature of God that's in your born-again spirit. See? Hmm? There are desires in your fallen human nature that should never be fulfilled. Many fleshly dreams later become a nightmare. Huh? You may get what you want, but you may not want what you get. So he said the desires of your heart. So there's all kinds of desires that people have that that's not godly, that's not scriptural, that's not, and, and, and and it's also not good for you or for others either. We're not talking about that. You know, people get mad and say, God, I, I delight in you, and I desire that you kill my neighbor because he irritates, kill his dog. His dog barks all night long. That, that, that's just your flesh talking. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1024, the scripture we read earlier said, the desire of the righteous will be granted. Well, the implication is that those desires would also be righteous desires, not sinful desires. God's not going to help you sin. It's my dream to be a mafia don. <laughs> that people would kiss the ring and say, oh, Godfather, so you came to my daughter's wedding. You know that, that is not God's dream for you. I can assure you that. You've watched too many movies. <laughs> now, let me say this. I have heard some uh, Christians interpret this verse, Psalm 37, verse 4. I've heard them interpret the verse this way, that God will give you the desires of your heart, meaning that actually God will put those desires in your heart. I don't totally disagree with that, but I also don't think that's what that verse is saying. Let me read to you, it's not in my notes, it won't be on the screen, but let me read to you another translation. It says this, this is the NCB translation, and he will grant you... What your heart desires. One translation, one translation, more than one, says he will give you, grant you the petitions of your heart. So I don't think he just means that he'll put a desire in you, although I don't totally disagree with that, but I think what he really means is he will fulfill your heartfelt desire. I think that's what he means. Amen? However, this verse does not merely say God will grant your desires. The first part of the verse says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, there's a requirement. There's a prerequisite. There's a condition which must be met. You delight yourself in the Lord. That's your job. He will give you the desires of your heart. That's his job. See, some people are trying to do God's job. They're not doing their job. You're not even doing a good job of doing your job. Don't worry about trying to do God's job. Amen? So delight yourself in the Lord. Some people are excited about their dreams, but they're not particularly excited about the one who makes dreams come true. They want gifts, not the giver. Huh? If you're only interested in what God can do for you and not thrilled in simply knowing him, then you don't qualify for this promise. Come on. If you're only interested in what God can do for you, that's all you want. I just want to be healed, I want to prosper, I want this, I want that. But you're not even interested other than sort of a passing interest. You're not thrilled, you're not enthusiastic to know Him, to be in His presence, then you don't qualify for this promise. And that may be the reason why your dreams are on hold. Hallelujah. It's going to get even quieter now because let me tell you this, the word delight... Delight. Somebody say delight. I didn't say Delilah. I said delight. Yeah, thank you. The word delight, you know what it means. It means to find pleasure in, to enjoy. So what do you delight in? Huh? There are many who endure being a Christian but they don't delight in being a child of God. Some people, they have this like I'm a martyr attitude because they come to church on Sunday. I could be home watching cricket, but I came today. You know, you're not a martyr. (laughs) Come on. When you come to church, you're not doing God a favor. You're doing yourself a favor. Come on. Hallelujah. God doesn't want you to endure Walking with him, oh, it's so hard, it's so difficult. Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I don't know who you're walking with. <laughs> huh? Amen. If you delight in the Lord, then you will also delight in the things that bring you closer to him. If you love cricket... That's what you love to talk about, too. And you love to be with others who love cricket. And you love to watch cricket. And you love to maybe uh, go to cricket matches. And you love to, uh, you know, learn about the, the players and, and the teams and the, et cetera, et cetera. So you love everything connected with it. And if you love God, if you delight in God, then you're interested in everything that has to do with him. Hallelujah. So delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Do you take pleasure? Do you enjoy worship? Or do you intentionally come late on Sunday so that you can skip that part? then this verse is not for you. Just just go ahead and mark that verse out of your Bible or write, this is not for me. I don't qualify. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Well, you say, Brother John, you see, it's not my style. That's not my style. Well, do you worship God at home? Uh, See, at home, it's your style, isn't it? We don't, we don't call you up, are you singing Hillsong? No, you better start. We, we don't do that. <laughs> so if you don't worship God at home, don't give me that baloney about this is not your style. By the way, it doesn't even matter. I have been in church services in other countries where they're singing in some other language, Hungarian or Japanese, but I still worship God. And they're going, and I'm like, you know, yeah, praise the Lord. I don't have, I have no idea what they're saying, but, I, but I'm worshiping God anyway. So don't, so don't give me that stuff about, I don't know the song. I'm not familiar with that song. Well, then when we do sing a song, you're familiar with, you still look like a totem pole. You still look like a telegraph machine, a tele, telephone pole. So don't give me that nonsense. It's real quiet here. Do you delight in coming to church? or are you secretly glad when something prevents you from coming? Oh, look at that. Here comes my grandmother. We didn't expect her Saturday night. Oh, too bad. Can't go to church. Oh. As a little boy. If I felt even slightly under the weather, I immediately told my mother because I didn't want to go to school. I mean, like, I was looking for something. Like, I'd wake up and if it, (coughs) yeah, yeah, mom, (coughs) and then I would exaggerate, mom, I don't feel good. But the problem was, my mother was a nurse. You'd think that that would make her very compassionate. No, no, no. She'd seen people with bullet wounds and limbs cut off. So she was not impressed with a sore throat. One time, I hope I don't freak you out by saying this, but one time I was eating my breakfast and I said, I don't feel good. She said, you'll you'll be fine. And I ate the breakfast and then, you know, I I puked. It all came out. And I said, mom, look. And she said, oh, fine. Now it's out of your system. You're good now. You go go on to school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my goodness. And then when, when I was a boy, of course, you know, we lived in a colder climate. But if it snowed in wintertime, if it snowed, then because we didn't get snow a lot. But if it snowed, often they would close the school because the snow's too thick. Nobody can drive. So at night in the wintertime, I listened on my radio to the weather report. <laughs> There's a cold front coming in. Mom, mom, cold front coming in. <laughs> And, and I, would, I, would, I would stay awake at night and look to see, like, one snowflake. Look, there there it is. There it is. We better call the school and see if there's going to be open tomorrow because I didn't want to go. Why does that sound like some of you? <laughs> well, it's Sunday morning. Yeah, but, honey, look, I see something in the sky, a cloud the size of a man's hand. I, <laughs> I, I think we better stay home. I, <laughs> hallelujah. The New King James Version says this, delight yourself also in the Lord. It adds that word also. That word also means in addition. So that means this is not the only requirement. There's some more things, other conditions to be met. So let's go back to the previous verse. Are you still here? I'm I'm trying to help you. Psalm 37 verse 3, that's the verse before. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So here's the first requirement. Not only to delight in the Lord, trust in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, you are looking to Him. You are relying on Him. So if you are dismissed... From your job, you don't panic. You're not sullen or gloomy because God is your source. You may lose your job, but you have not lost your God. Hmm? Whatever you trust in, you will hold on to tightly. Whatever you trust in, that's what you have a tight grip on. And that's why some people are tight-fisted with their money. Now it's really quiet here today. I've already taken up the offering, so just relax, okay? He's going to take up another one. I knew it. (laughs) Come on. That's also why some needy people cling to others. So I was in the country of Haiti, which is a little island, a very impoverished island in the Caribbean. It's really a, a, a sad place, to be honest with you. And so there was a young fella, and he asked me for something. And so I made, I don't know, a mistake or not, but I gave him some money. And then the next morning, he's there again. And he became now my new best friend. He stuck to me like glue. I'm not joking. When I woke up, he's staring into my bedroom window. When I walked outside to go somewhere, he's right with me, right in stride with me. Where are we going today, friend? Friend, where are we going today? Man, I'm telling you, when people get their eyes off of the Lord and onto me, that's when I stop helping them because now I'm doing them more harm than good. It's real quiet today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Trust in the Lord. Somebody say, trust in the Lord. in Lord. In a time of crisis, what you trust in is what you first reach for. In a time of crisis, you got a bad report. Some unexpected tragedy has occurred. What you trust in is what you first reach for. Hmm? What's your initial response when you hear bad news? Do you look to the Lord and stand on his word? Or is that the furthest thought from your mind? Come on, some people believe in the Bible on Sunday morning from 10 till 12. That's not going to cut the mustard. God isn't a two-hour God. He's a full-time God. And you can't be a part-time Christian and have a full-time God work in your life the way you hope he will. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. I'll tell you this. uh, My father, he went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. My father, and I hope it's okay for me to say this, but my father, he slept every night with a revolver under his pillow. A a gun. Boom, 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 boom. He slept every night with, that that could only happen in America, right? He slept with a revolver, maybe not, a revolver under his pillow. Now, I I believe, I'll just say this, I believe you have a right to defend yourself. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, although I personally, just John Routon, I wouldn't want to have a gun under my pillow. I mean, you know, I might toss, turn, and blow a hole in the back of my head. I don't think that's a good idea, personally. That's just me, you know, but so I'm not necessarily, I believe you have a right to defend yourself, but my point is Well, it sounds like that that would be the first thing you would reach for. Do you reach for your weapon or the word? That proves what you really trust in. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Your trust is not proven on Sunday night during the service. It's proven at three o'clock in the morning. It's proven in the difficult times. Amen. Notice this. I got to wrap this up. I'm almost done. Notice this. Trust in the Lord. And then it says, and do good. That's the second point. And do good. If we have experienced God's goodness, we should also show and demonstrate God's goodness to others. Many people who are, Our dream chasers are so focused on their own desires that they are completely oblivious and blind to the hopes and aspirations of other people. Are you listening to me? Hmm? If you want your dream to come true, help someone else's dream come true. It's a spiritual principle. And whatever dream that you have that has come from God's heart, it will involve helping other people. Whatever dream you have, if it came from heaven, I promise you this it will include helping, blessing other people. So, in other words, you can't be so self absorbed. All I think about is me, my dreams. My ambitions, what I want, that's not the way. You've got to consider there's a world of people out there. There's someone sitting next to you right now. They have dreams too. They have hopes and aspirations also. Help others, and God will see to it that others help you. Amen. God does not give purely selfish dreams. Then notice this. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. I think we could interpret that phrase this way. Stay where God has put you. Stay where God has put you. Proverbs 27 verse 8 says this, Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Stay in your place. Because that's where you will experience your grace. God's provision for your life is connected to a certain place. I said, God's provision for your life is connected to a certain place. In the midst of a terrible drought and famine, God sent Elijah to a place. And he said, Go there. And the ravens will feed you and you'll drink water from the river. When the river dried up, God said, here's the next place for you to go. And I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Your provision is connected to your place. So if you're not in the right place, you may struggle. Things may not go right for you. Are you out there today? Some people, for example, are believing God for a house. But what would be the point of building a house only to find out it's not God's will for you to live there? So first, you need to know where your nest is. Amen? Before, I'm going to get in trouble right now, but here we go. Before I came to India... Uh, I was somewhat interested in one young lady. I was single in those days. I was somewhat interested. Here we go. I may need a ride home after the service is over. (laughs) I was somewhat interested in one young lady, and she was somewhat interested in me. And then I came to visit Calcutta in 1989. And during that time, she dropped me like a hot iron, like a hot potato. She dropped me, kathad to the ground. At the time, I was disappointed. I could hear it. on I called her from India. I called her from Calcutta, and I could hear it in her voice. She's in America. I couldn't see her. We didn't have FaceTime and all that. I could hear it in her voice. When I hung up the phone, I knew I was in trouble, and I was right. But today... I am thankful. (laughs) And maybe you should be thankful too because that young lady could never have lived in the places God sent me to. The things we cry about today, we rejoice about tomorrow. Come on, come on. And then lastly, notice this. And befriend his faithfulness. Now, that last phrase of that verse, it's kind of hard to translate. It's a little difficult, you know. The New King James Version says this and feed on his faithfulness. And it really, in Hebrew, it's kind of a picture like sheep grazing in rich pasture land. That's kind of the picture there. Stay where God puts you and then feed like like lambs feeding on the green grass, the rich pasture land. See, the Bible tells me in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. means I won't have any lack in my life. But see, that's the first verse of the Psalm. The second verse says, He makes me, Psalm 23, verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me. he, He leads me beside still waters. See, the shepherd doesn't follow the sheep. The sheep follow the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Where God guides, he provides. So if you want that dream to come true, stop trying to pull God where you want him to take you and let him take you where he wants you to be. And I can promise you this, where he leads you may not be the place that you would choose, but God knows best, and this is where the trust comes in. This is where the trust comes in and delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that help anybody this morning?